Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer and Assistant Administrator for the Office of IT. Russ, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. In many ways, I've had the TSA CIO on my show a couple times before, but this is new for you because you're, you're relatively new as the CIO at TSA. So let's just start at the beginning. You were officially named in January, but really you've been acting for quite a while and been deputy since 2014. Let's just discuss your role, the transition to the CIO, and, and discuss kind of some of the challenges you, you faced as, as you made that transition. The transition was was fairly smooth because, as you mentioned, I've been the CIO for quite quite a long time. Over a year as the acting CIO, and then two and a half years as the deputy CIO. So, not a lot of surprises when I came in. It was very very active deputy. So there were a lot of things going on in the office, and I was involved in all of those. Steve Rice, who's now the uh, principal deputy over the department, both of us uh, worked very very closely together. So you know, I, I was involved in everything. So the surprises weren't there. A lot of the initiatives he started, you know, we followed through with and you know some of the new things that I'm sure we'll talk about later on um, those things continue to, to move forward as everything changes in the world of cyber and digital technology and things like that well, that's good news obviously a lot of times when I talk to CIOs who are new to the job they go wow that's a much different job than I expected or the learning curve was pretty steep so you were able to get in and really start running from the beginning was there an adjustment on the staff side or or was the mission side you said you'd work closely with Steve anyway so you were probably in a lot of those same meetings talking to the mission folks understanding their needs yep absolutely and you know and I've been with TSA for over 14 years and a lot of that on the operational side with with those types of programs so I've been involved from sort of A to Z at TSA so a lot of the initiatives now that I'm responsible in a different role as the CIO were things that I was involved in as program managers, and I ran the criminal immigration and terrorism portfolio for the agency. So I had my finger in a lot of things, which helps you when you come into the IT world because, uh, you know, we're driving we're driving performance in a different way. But being exposed to just about all of the programs at TSA was a real benefit for me when I took over as the deputy and then certainly as I became the CIO in January. That was a great segue because I was going to ask you about your background a little bit. The fact that you came from an operational role, you came from the mission area and rose to CIO is a huge benefit. You understand, hopefully, <laughs> what's going on at the ground level. And when you say we're going to do this for security or we do this for for to give you better services, your customers have to understand, well, he was where we were once, so he knows the impact of mission that it may could have. Talk a little bit about your background, and then we'll jump into kind of how that background gives you kind of a leg up as CIO. Talk about where else you worked within TSA and in and out of government. Starting back, I was an Air Force officer for a little over six years, and then I worked for eight years supporting primarily the Department of Defense and the federal government as a, a senior manager with one of the big three consulting firms. Uh, so that helped to build another perspective. Then right after 9-11, I came back to work for the federal government with TSA. I've been here for, like I said, over 14 years, and it's really, I mean, it's a great place to work. There's so much going on. The mission, counterterrorism mission of the agency, really motivates you each and every day when you get up. And the staff are the same way here. A lot of smart people at TSA. Getting in when I when I started here at TSA, largely, again, I was in the program management area. I think I wrote the TSAs, if not the department's first privacy impact assessment, IT management, logistics, and 
and that portfolio that I ran with the criminal, the terrorism, and immigration, I did that for quite a few years, which touched on all the all the security programs we had at TSA, because from time to time, all of those programs would have something that uh, we needed to engage on, or a large role that I played as starting those programs. What does it mean to start? What are the security threat assessments that we need to do based on the risk and threat of that population? So really advantageous, and when you as you move up through the rank, it's nice to know just about everybody. So even if it's not an IT question, I can point someone in the right direction, and that collaboration really is the, the key to success, especially at the executive level, but to be able to help the agency move forward and quickly. Did you know you'd be a CIO one day? Did you have that desire, or were you always a program guy who happened to understand technology a little bit and ended up you know, kind of uh, ascending through the ranks? So certainly a decent technology background. My goal and desire when I came back in into TSA was after 9/11 was really to to serve. You know, you're, you're, I was very very proud wearing the Air Force uniform, and again back in the federal government, make, being able to make decisions and and have a real direct impact on uh, national security is something that I really enjoy. So. Coming back to the government made all the sense to me as far as looking to be the CIO or an executive. I have really always throughout my career, you know, kind of focused on taking care of the mission and the people doing what's right and never worrying about the next job. I always figured that would find me if that's the case. And that's sort of my philosophy when I mentor folks, too, is that do a great job. That's really what's important. Collaborate with folks and, and your career will continue to take off. So a lot of times when I talk to CIOs who came from the tech world, they are a operational side versus a strategy side. Because you come from the mission world, do you find yourself leaning more in the strategy world than the tech world? Meaning you don't really worry about the, the ones and zeros and more about what does this really mean for the mission? IT should never be an afterthought, right? Te technology is often the disruptive force and enabler for operational effectiveness. You know, our new administrator, Administrator Praskovsky, has got some strategic priorities that we're always, you know, improve security, safeguard the transportation system, and really to improve operational performance. Well, what a unique role for the CIO and, and, and all of my fantastic IT staff is to help drive that. There's always a disruptive force. Sometimes it's not, it's not major and incredible. We're not shooting rockets, but there are things that we can always do to help streamline the, the operations and the performance in the field. And that's something that gives my staff and myself that excitement coming in every day in the work. You know, there's lots of things, big and small, that you can do. So the focus on the ones and zeros has to be there. You've got to be make sure everybody's phone works and all that, the back-end stuff. Meanwhile, we're also responsible for, for two of the biggest vetting systems in the federal government to make sure that the folks on flights and the folks in the different transportation jobs are, you know, secured and checked and, and that we keep up on that every second and minute of the day. And let's talk about your staff a little bit. Discuss how many federal employees you have, how many contractors, and TSA's budget for 2018 for the technology side. So I've got just, just under 500 federal employees right now. I've actually got billets for more, but five, about 500 federal employees, hundreds of contractors, maybe even uh, dipping into 1,000, who are I always view as part of our team. Having come from the contract world, I view it's never an us and them. I think that's a critical piece, that we are a team to get the same mission together, and their voice is just as important as, as our federal voices. My office supports about 450 airports, another 50 or so international locations locations across. And, you know, my overall IT budget is just over $400 million. And a as we say now, certainly uh, recently, the new you know, flat budget is the new up budget. So I know every CIO is facing that same thing. And how, how do you squeeze more out of the turnip, so to speak, <laughs> in a good way? 
The contractor to federal employee ratio is interesting. It's two to one, which is on the very low side when you look at maybe some other other CIOs who have a four to one or five to one ratio. Well, it's probably more four to one. It's it's probably at least four to one. Some of those systems external, some of our human capital systems are their contractors. All of the IT that I oversee, I would probably get right between four and five to one with a few thousand uh, contractors to support all of those. Some of the systems directly belong to me, and some belong to some of the other offices like the human capital and and things like that. Is that a good ratio? Because I, I think uh, I was a little surprised. Even four to one is not that high. It's, it's probably what I, it's probably average. On the side of the business where we have secure flight and our transportation vetting system, that we have a, a very, uh, while we have a, a robust contract staff, we also have a very technical staff of, of engineers on, on my federal group. So, you know, in, in the event we had some sort of a disruption with contracts, we need to have the federal capacity to do a lot of that engineering work and design. And that, that team is is very in tuned uh, to do that. So that's, that ratio level is a little bit smaller than what you'd see in a lot of other places. Your relationship with other parts of TSA in terms of the, the CXO suite, meaning the CFO and Chief Human Capital Officer, obviously with uh, the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act and now the MGT Act, there's been a big push to really to further increase the stature, the standing of the CIO. Are you meeting with your other CXO suite mates uh, quite often? I meet with them at least weekly. And I think that's critical. That collaboration piece is really the success because we want to ward off problems before they occur. And if something's coming up, then, you know, I want to be the CIO who isn't the CIO who always says no. I want to get how do we get to yes. And a lot of times you're only as good as the requirements that you have. And you need to make sure that that open and honest communication is always going on. You've got the money discussion. You've got the, you know, I don't want to have 16 different types of systems, each office picking something different. You've got to make sure that we're spending our limited resources in a smart way. So working with them uh, day in, day out, most most of them, you know, I've always got a theory. If it's a, if it's a priority to me, then I'm meeting on it at least weekly. It's not a priority if I'm meeting once a month or once every other month. That's not a priority. And we've got a lot of, lot of important things going on at TSA. So we engage quite regularly. The human capital piece are very supportive to us when we need to move. And in and, uh, and the IT arena, it's, it's hard to do the recruiting. It's expensive. A lot of the skills that we need are very difficult. So they're uh, they're good when we, when I meet with them and I say I've got a special request here. I get special. We need very proactive. The acquisition team is critical. Um, I make sure when I have a strategy for OIT that before I publish it, I'm working with the acquisition folks to make sure that they understand it. Do they have any suggestions? So all that goes in. And and then with the CFO, if you don't have that relationship with with the C-suite folks, you're doing your team a disservice, and you're really going to have have a hard time functioning successfully when you've got to pivot and move to new priorities. And so that's something that I, I make sure that my office and myself uh, keep this relationship very, very strong because I think overall that may be the most important part of my, my job is to make sure that those relationships are there through the good times and the bad times so that we can always get to yes and do what we need to do to pivot. I think that's something that you're hearing more and more CIOs recognize, not that it's new, but that they're, they're making a bigger effort to ensure that that collaboration is there. Uh, Russ, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into those uh, priorities that you, you started to mention. My guest is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. Russ, before break, we got to know you a little bit. You mentioned the collaboration that happens with the CFO and other CXO suite mates that you have. 
and then you said, you know, any priority, any strategy, they have to be involved in it. Well, let's jump into some of those priorities. Uh, it's been roughly about two and a half years since I've had the TSA CIO on my show. You mentioned Steve Rice. When he came on back uh, in 2015 timeframe, he talked about some shortcomings in the TSA cyber defenses and the work you guys were doing to really shore them up. Uh, uh, launching a project around you know switching the fabric router infrastructure land mobile radio there's a lot there that's going on let's just start with that give us an update on that effort to really shore up your cyber defenses cyber obviously continues every day there's new threats every minute keeps us on our toes and obviously that's probably my top priority I mean going back talking about uh, some of the things that you you discussed with Steve back in the day we've been very successful in accomplishing uh, the major infrastructure projects that we had we replaced our router fabric uh, at TS say. All of our land mobile radios replaced, upgraded our printers, and just recently finished a, a major desktop laptop refresh across the agency, which has really put us in a good position for any new cyber. You know, some of the some of the components uh, are, are, are limited in some of the hardware that they have. Now we've got the latest hardware. We're also moving the entire enterprise to Windows 10, which provides significant security enhancements, and I'm excited about that. It's one of the major initiatives. One of the things we're observing across the federal space with an increase increasing cyber landscape, we're addressing the multiple tools to detect, to monitor, and to respond to those threats. The number of sensors on the endpoint is ever-growing, as you know, and, and having newer computers allows us really to keep up and, again, allows me to be more flexible in some of the things that we need to do to respond to things that I have no idea what's going to come tomorrow. We've been lucky so far to have garnered the money to do these, these major projects. However, you know, I don't expect to have that luxury in the future. I don't expect to have the dollars for a major hardware refresh in the coming years. So leveraging the cloud will be critical to us going forward. You know, our current efforts include, you know, moving to several clouds. Uh, you know, I won't be in every cloud at the end of the day. We've got to limit that. But we'll be in a number of clouds, and, and our initiative to start refactoring mission applications is underway. You know, I look at the you know, roughly 100 uh, main mission apps that we have. Some of those are large, old, and clunky, and they may be, you know, more of a platform as a service. Uh, my, my goal and my mission there is to be software as a service in the future, uh, be able to uh, allow the customers to have sort of a catalog that they can go out and purchase the things that they need that have been secured in the right clouds, and uh, we can be in sync when we do that. So those are some of the main priorities. We're, we're looking at maybe changing our security on our mobile phones. Uh, Office 365 is, a, is another one of my priorities. We've got things with records management and things like that that we've, uh, we've got to do. And then coming in, in uh, 2020, we're moving our headquarters, you know, 15 miles down the road. So that's another major thing that you you start that a couple of years before you actually execute, and we've been heavily engaged as the building is, is being built right now for us. All right, there's a ton there to, to unpack, so <laughs> let, let me start at the beginning maybe a little bit. You mentioned the recent uh, refresh around the hardware, uh, laptops and desktops. I guess two questions from that is, uh, number one is, did you think about just moving everyone to laptops or moving everyone to a zero client or thin client type approach? We looked at thin clients for this time. We weren't quite ready to go that route. Now, I think that's something when we get ready to do our refresh here in another three or four, five years, that's something that I think is, is holding a lot of promise for us, you know, have those blades. The time we did it, the decision was made, we want to keep the same form factor for that, and we went with the, uh, you know, the laptops and the desktops that we had originally had. And the reason why is it because of those older applications that maybe were a little clunky, weren't quite ready to be in the cloud, because that's basically been you either are connecting the thin or zero client back to a data center or back to a cloud of some sort. Is, is that was that maybe the main reason? Part of the 
reason, and also part of the reason was that there was a lot of initiatives going on at the same time. So that didn't rise to the level we wanted to be com- completely shift our focus and do something totally different with our infrastructure. We were moving those data centers. I think uh, you talked to Steve about that. We were successfully able to move six large data centers and consolidate those. Uh, we had that in flight, and uh, with the new cybersecurity things that, that are the priority, we wanted to make sure we didn't have too many big balls in the air and too many changes going on at the same time. I wanted to make sure we were blocking and tackling and being successful at that. One of the things, you know, is, is always the balance. We'll talk about, you know, the future and moving to the new digital, the future. It's also important that we have stability here at TSA. So one of the things I'm most proud of is we're stable. We're not continually going up and down. We're not losing email. We're not having those problems. And, and that gives you the ability to have some breathing room and do some of these other important things, the cloud, the cloud and all of that. So it was really a matter of, I think that might have been one step too far, but I, I certainly think that that holds a lot of promise potentially for our next refresh. All right, hopefully we'll talk before another three years and when you guys <laughs> move to uh, Think Line, but I, it's, it's a good ex- explanation. The other thing you mentioned was Windows 10. Uh, where are you guys at with that implementation? And how much of a difference do you think it will make, uh, both from a security standpoint, but also from a standardization standpoint? You got to stay up with those things. They don't they don't stick out. So from the security perspective, that gives us a lot of opportunity to, to, to get some of the hunt tools and all the things that we need to have out there for Windows 10. It's critical to the department. The department has put out the edict that everyone's going to Windows 10. We expect to be done uh, certainly within within the year finishing that up. So we're in a good place there. Uh, it should be a security, uh, you know, significant enhancement for the security. You know, the cyber landscape. We're addressing the multiple tools to detect, monitor, and respond. So all of that ties into the Windows 10. That's gonna that's gonna help us. Uh, again, with the new computers out there and all the endpoints, the sen- sensors, you know, new computers allows us to keep up with all of that stuff. Now, did the new computers come with Windows 10? So we're really looking at, at an infrastructure, kind of a, a middleware back end side that you got to move to Windows 10? Or did the new laptops, new desktops also have to be upgraded? little bit of both, right? Some of them, uh, we've also got to make sure the image is correct, that we, we will we'll change some of the images on the machines to make sure they're they're secure for us. So a lot of the stuff was, was already there, and but throughout the infrastructure, we've got a lot of stuff in some of the secondary systems that don't have the newest equipment, some of the other contracts. So we're, we want to get that throughout the entire environment. We will still have some things that aren't connected, some legacy stuff that aren't connected to the network. Some of the equipment that you see at the airports don't have the latest Latest, uh, operating systems, and in those cases, I've disconnected them from the network. So, you know, those are those are bigger challenges down the road. We're looking at how we can secure those things better. We'd love to get them on the network. Uh, so we've had some procurements going out there to take a look at ways that we can do that, but we haven't cracked that nut yet. We know the Defense Department has spent a lot of time trying to move to Windows 10. I know that the DHS CIO, John Zingardi, came over from uh, from DOD to DHS. Have you had conversations either with uh, Dr. Zangardi or with some folks in DOD about some of the obstacles that they've overcome or some of the challenges they've faced with Windows 10? Yeah, I, I don't think we're one of the components that's really struggling with it. I think uh, some of the other components are having a harder time. I think moving to Windows 10 for us is, is sort of blocking and tackling. I don't think we're not having any major problems with that shift ourselves. I was thinking more just the planning of it all because it's never as easy as you think. And it's never as hard as it, it turns out to be. But just the fact that DOD has had some experience with it, I didn't know if you guys maybe had some you know lessons learned, best practices that you were able to borrow, beg, steal from DOD. Well, certainly Dr. C has had us all in there. We've all had a number of conversations on Windows 10. He just came out with some new policy directing all the components to get to Windows 10. We'd already been a few months in the process of already moving there. And there's 
I think some of the folks that are going to come later or, or that are working on it behind us will come back to us. We are pretty good at, at the CIO Council with sharing things and helping folks out where, where it's similar. So and he certainly is very collaborative in that, in that manner, but he's put that down. Everyone will get to Windows 10. So I think that's a positive thing. And some of the folks, quite frankly, don't have the hardware to support that yet. So that's a major you know, block for some of the other components, and they're working on that right now to figure out how they can upgrade their machines. If you got one, one or two gigabytes of RAM, that that's a big challenge. The other thing you mentioned at the same time is this idea of moving to cloud. Talk a little bit about where you guys are at. You said you're not going to have every cloud, but you're, you're also not going to have one cloud. What's the strategy behind the move to cloud for TSA? I've got things that recap down the road. We don't want I want to recap all of our switches and routers and all of that stuff down the road. So money is one of the one of the items pushing for for the cloud initiative. The other thing is I'd like to have a catalog where the customers uh, throughout TSA, if they want to get a, a help desk system going or they want some a new tool, I'd like them to be able to have a SaaS application that they can go in right out of a catalog and be able to purchase that and start to move. But it's in an area, it's in a cloud that that I'm comfortable with the ATO and and the security, the identity, all the stuff that goes into making sure it's it's secure is ready to go. So as we move down working with the acquisition team, you know, to identify how many clouds is that going to be. And again, I, I think we're going to have, we're probably going to have platform as a service in some way. We're definitely going to have some infrastructure for those large clunky things until we're able to refactor those. But I think SaaS, you know, I'm, I'm looking to put out sort of a an edict that it's SaaS first. Tell me why you can't go to SaaS if you're looking to do something different. And then we want to try and funnel that into the clouds that, you know, I have enough resources and commitment and time to make sure that those things are secure. A lot of our information, as you can imagine, is sensitive and above. So don't want to lose any of the citizen's information, and nor do we want to lose or risk any of our you know, unique mission data. So, Russ, I'm going to try to make your life easier instead of harder. A lot of vendors do listen to the program. So is there an acquisition strategy around cloud yet? Are you moving internally to the DHS data centers? Tell me as much as you can so you don't get 101 calls from vendors saying, come move to our cloud or let me come in and talk to you about our cloud. We're getting ready to do some dev tests right now in the Azure Cloud. You know, I have I don't want to get into specific vendors, but all the big ones that you hear, you know, if they've got an ATO and and, and they've got their FedRAMP high, those are the things that I'm looking at. Those are the things that are key, and there's only so many of those folks in that space right now, but uh, just about everybody's trying to move there. So those are the things that I'm looking at to get the most security for the for the buck. I don't have a lot of very public-facing data that, that's really, you know, could be at a, at a lower level, but where we have that, I want to make sure that uh, we explore the, get the best value for, for what we buy. Again, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be, yeah, I wouldn't want to pin myself down in a number of clouds, but there will certainly be more than a few. All right, very good. I'm trying just trying to make your life easy. That's what I'm here for. You know that. <laughs> They're going to call me anyway. They're going to call you anyways. Very good. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we can uh, talk some of the other parties you mentioned. My guest is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. Russ, before break, we're getting through some of your priorities, both old ones and new ones. You mentioned the cloud. We talked several times about take advantage of the cloud. And one of the things you said was, I may get to the point where I may have to put out some kind of edict or some kind of memo that says, justify why you wouldn't use software as a service. 
And part of that is this idea of moving some mission apps to the cloud, I'm sure. You mentioned there's about 100 or so you'd like to look at and say, are they cloud enabled? Do we have to make them cloud enabled? Talk about that strategy of moving those mission apps, either modernizing them or just moving them to the cloud and then modernizing them. When you take a look at the, the apps that we have out, we're investing quite a bit of time to try and figure out which, which of these apps make the most sense to go where. Some of them are going to be very hard to refactor right now. And some of them uh, lend themselves to being refactored, and some just lend themselves to be rebuilt, maybe up in a SaaS tool, and then shut the other piece back off. So some of the big apps, you know, how we schedule federal air marshals on the highest risk flights and things like that, and how, how, we, how we handle all that, the risk stuff throughout the agency. So a lot of those are, are pretty big and clunky, and they've sort of stayed in the past as some of the technology and some of the, the data feeds have, have changed. So we've, my philosophy is let's move the easy ones. Let's take the low-bearing fruit, and let's move those. And we've refactored the ones that we can, get them up in the SaaS, build some new ones because we've got, I can envision some of our applications, we build a new application that now allows us to shut six or seven of those applications off because they either do some redundant things or only only a third of what they're doing is something that we still need. So we're looking at that. That's a little bit more challenging than it would seem on the surface to figure out. Some are very easy. These are going to be platform as a service. These are going to be primarily infrastructure as a service because they're too big right now. So that'll be sort of the next priority. Those that we would move over on infrastructure as a service, we'll look at those to see all right, how do we refactor those? Does it make sense to refactor those? And things like that. The cloud offers us, obviously, some of our mission tool. We, we don't have disaster recovery and some of the things that I'd like to have disaster recovery on. So that, you know, the, the cloud really offers that. And again, I mentioned, you know, being able to, to save some money on recapitalization down the road and be able to turn some things off. The cloud allows you to be redundant in a, in a cost-effective manner where sometimes it's hard to get that hardware and software out there and continue to keep refreshing that stuff. So that's really my main drive is to get performance and, and improvement to my customers quicker, and SaaS is a beautiful model for that. Well, a lot of the stuff that we do isn't so unique that we can't use open source and, and leverage what other people are doing. Uh, throughout the department, that's an area where we're, we're trying to help each other, and there's some, some other groups out there in, in the federal space that we're, we're trying to learn from as well. So we're moving in that direction. You know, the, the task that I'm right in the middle now is to figure out of all those mission apps, which place does it make sense? Some of those things may just sit out in data center one for a while. Well, we work on the ones that are the most important and also the ones that are probably easiest to move. So you bring up an interesting point because TSA, as you said, you've been there for 14 years. TSA is only, you're forgive me, 14 or 15 years old. So were a lot of these uh, apps and a lot of these systems inherited from the old pieces of government that did what TSA used to do? Maybe it was a little bit from FAA or a little bit from INS or CBP or whatever they were, or are these built in the last 15 years, but they just got old quickly? So the really good news is I don't have any data, uh, mainframes I got to get rid of. <laughs> don't have any. So there's there's none of those things ticking out there. It's it's just some of the stuff. There's not a lot we inherited from the FAA, There, but there's there's some responsibilities that we took over, some programs that had some lower level stuff, but a lot of the stuff was built early on. And it's, if you built something even three years ago and you rebuilt it today, you'd probably do it a different way. You'd probably design it a different way. I think the agency has created a new office of, of requirements, capabilities, and analysis. So we're trying to use a model where we're, we're a little bit better on our requirements. And, and you know, as our IT and software success really does begin with the quality of those requirements. So to get get that piece 
together, we're looking at that. So the applications are really the key, and we're, where we uh, are trying to drive that stuff is I want to I get dev and test up in the cloud right away so we can start to leverage that and then offer those catalogs. Uh, very interesting, and it's good that you guys don't have any mainframe or COBOL or <laughs> any of those other crazy dinosaurs, systems, yeah. dinosaurs, yeah. Uh, the other thing you mentioned around this was you're trying to talk to some other people in government and maybe learn from them. Are you working with some of the digital services groups? Are you working with other agencies who have had similar challenges? Talk a little bit about that, that collaboration. VA is really doing well, and then a few of the other components within the department have done some different things. So we're trying to learn from them some of the vendors that they have, you know, what's what's working, what's not working. What I think is really going to be important going forward, and we've we've talked with Dr. Z and the, and the team of the other CIOs, is that we are able to share ATO. You know, that's one of the big challenges. You know, sometimes it takes us 18 months, a year to 18 months to get an ATO in place. So if CBP has got an ATO for a certain cloud that works. I'd like to be able to use 85% of that and, and, and cut down the time it takes and the complexity to move to those other places. And that's where that collaboration and working together, and if something didn't work, sometimes you learn more when something didn't work. Uh, we took a long time trying to get our teams together and making the shift to the cloud slowly, and, and I don't think at the end of the day that really helps. It's I think it's really the people that need to, to really be – to be brought up, to be trained, to understand what the vision is. Sometimes the coding and the, and the agile services really aren't the challenge. It's really the people to understand where they fit and how we're going to move things. The reciprocity piece is definitely huge. Is that something that would come from DHS headquarters, or is that something you can decide on your own to say, hey, CBP, hey, USCIS, you did that ATO for the cloud vendor X. Let me see it. I'm going to accept as you said, 85% of it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only worry about the other 15%. Something that easy that you can do? Probably both. Yeah, I think that's the strategy. And we've had a few meetings we've talked about that. So I think that's the idea, sort of a strategic vision on, on how would we share the things that, that are out there. And, you know, I'd love to have enterprise contract vehicles available that we could just go and use. And, and I know the department is working on that. So that's in the future. We're, we're all hoping for that. But if CBP has something right now, that's what we're doing, reaching out and we're trying to share and and we're making sure we're reciprocating on the other end so that they can use it. That's You get a lot of bang for your buck when you can share those things. Related to this conversation on cloud and mission apps is the move to Office 365. That's something that a lot of agencies also are doing. But you also tied it to records management. Just real briefly, talk a little bit about how the move to Office 365 and, and, and records management are interrelated. TSA's got a lot of paper. We haven't really destroyed a lot of stuff in our 14 years. Office 365 is gonna, has the tools in there, and every time you send an email, is it a business email? Is it a formal do- document that we need to save? Right now, we don't have the tool to do that. So everything that's getting sent right now is you've got to look at the end of the day, was that, was that a permanent record or was that not a record? Is that a real record or it isn't? 365 will help us with that. That's going to save us quite a bit of money, but also um, allow us to really get in line and then deal with all the paper that we have out there where we can digitize things. And at the beginning of the agency, I don't think we saved a lot of stuff because we hadn't gone down and figured out, is this a real record or not? So we need to be better going forward. My goal is when we move in the new building that we're not we're, we're going to have very, very few file cabinets. So we'll be able to leverage 365 to help us do that and then uh, you know, be in a good place going forward with all of our records management. Well, that would be excellent news, I'm sure, for the movers at the very least, if not most of your staff who won't have to worry about packing up those papers. You mentioned another priority was both back in 2015 when I talked to Steve Rice, but also continues to be a priority is around data center consolidation. You mentioned the six data centers were consolidated already. 
already. Talk a little bit about that effort and going forward, how many others do you foresee being part of that consolidation? We were completely successful on the six data centers that we targeted for consolidation, and, and uh, those were consolidated largely in a data center one and data center two. We had um, four different data centers that the federal air marshals had been operating, so all of those had been combined down into, into either data center one or two. We had a forensic lab, and we had uh, another large production pod move. All of those went very, very well. You, you learn from all of those things. And some of those lessons learned the department is using with some of their financial the financial system challenges that they have. So we did a really good job at that. We we went slow at first and we picked up speed. We got the confidence in, in, in how that was going to work. So that really was uh, allowed us to recapitalize our outdated infrastructure as well as we moved into new stuff. So you know that was a good strategic move. We were able to get some money from the department to help to make to make those moves and get new equipment on the other end. So that saved us from uh, recapping that and helped us in the things that we've been doing here in the last year, 18 months. And going forward, do you see other consolidation happening or do you feel like you're in a good place with the number of data centers you have? I'd like to be in one main data center with the department and then get the, the rest of the stuff in the cloud. That's sort of what we're looking at right now. Uh, as a department, we're looking to see, we're, we're working on those kinds of strategies right now. You know, how many data centers do we all want to operate and making sure that that's it. I've got very few now. So I'm happy with that. But again, I, I want to leverage the cloud to get some of that additional, you know, capability that, that we don't have with some of the systems that I'd like to have redundancy on. All right. Very nice. Uh, Russ, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, finish up, talk maybe about innovation a little bit, maybe more, a little bit more about cybersecurity. My guest is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Your agency, your executives, your mission. Find out if we've explored your agency at federalnewsradio.com. Search Agency of the Month. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. Russ, before break, we got into cloud. We talked a little about data center consolidation. Let's talk about Agile now, because that's another hot topic that we hear a lot from CIOs. The Transportation Security Administration actually awarded a contract almost about a year ago for Agile development services for IT modernization. How is that contract doing in terms of impacting the way you guys are delivering your services? We've got a, a really good start on this. Our customers are now getting enhancements and new capabilities much more frequently as opposed to the previous waterfall development methods that you know required the long releases, the cycles, and the requirements kept changing as you, as time ticked on. Our agile teams have been have delivered the initial operating capability, of, you know, new management control applications, and half the time using agile. The development approach is following up with enhancements about about every two weeks, so we're able to get that capability in their hands quicker. One of our law enforcement applications was experiencing long long delays in their performance functions with the application and productivity degradations and all those things were heavily impacting their work. Under our new Agile approach and our contract, the development team it was able to deliver a significant enhance within a couple of sprint cycles. What used to take five and ten minutes to get reports out is now taking less than five seconds and their response times it really helped not only you know the, the folks who are pulling reports but also operational impact on getting things done when, when we have weather outages and things like that. 
we need to move people around. In the fourth quarter of 2017, our Agile teams delivered about a 400% increase in the number of release, releases to operations. And that's a d- direct result of incremental software releases using Agile and the automated continuous integration CICD pipeline. So those things together, being able to get the requirements right at a smaller level, start to get those deliver smaller, incremental, more timely releases are critical. We do that very successfully also on the operations side where we're running secure flight and all of those things. Requirements are always changing based on, on threat and intelligence data. And, and our teams will go in there. Uh, we've, we've, we've been tuning this for a few years. They get together with the, with the operational folks and say, what are you trying to get? What are you, what are you trying to what are you trying to suss out of the data? Where are you looking for? And within just you know a few weeks, sometimes two, four, six weeks, we're able to deliver new capability that was critical before. I remember when when a few airplanes had dropped off the radar back a few years ago, and you couldn't they couldn't find the planes. Passports passports were a big thing where they lost or stolen passports. So we've been very successful in being able to pull those kinds of things in as new new stuff evolves out there, new risks and new threats and new intelligence, and be able to deliver an operational capability pretty quickly. So you said early on during this conversation, for instance, the new management controls apps about half the time. Roughly speaking, what is it taking you? Was it did it take you six months to come up with a new capability? Now it's three months. Help so, me quantify. So I've asked that all of all of my sprint releases are less than less than four weeks. So that's what we're shooting for. If it's something a little bit larger, depending on some things that we may need a bucket for, they'll do that. We're shooting for two weeks. A lot of cases we are delivering in two weeks. It depends on the complexity. And I'd like to, you know, sort of the, the edict down the road would be everything under two weeks, but that's not always realistic depending on how big, you know, the, the priorities may bucket together and we may take something that was a lesser priority because the work is similar. So wherever it makes sense. But this six-month waterfall where the requirements are continually changing, uh, we've, we're, we're getting getting away from that, and we see nothing but success in Blue Sky from doing that. So one of the other DHS components that we've talked a lot about is USCIS when it comes to Agile. Are you following their approach in terms of each of the vendors on your Agile contract are working together on a specific project, or are you releasing, for lack of a better word, task orders for each sprint? Talk a little about how the contract is working from that perspective. So I, I think CIS has a, has a model where they have different vendors uh, on the different teams competing and, and driving. We're not doing it that way, but w- what we do have are a multiple agile teams that are working to get the delivery done. So they're obviously in a way in competition with themselves to make sure the quality of the uh, the coding and all of that stuff is good and, and the speed. Uh, we're pretty much laying out here. We think it's going to take this amount of time. So it's a very collaborative effort. When I go down there, I'm always amazed at, at, at the interaction between the customer and the, the development team, they're all in the same room. If they want something that's blue and they, they want two screens instead of one, it's great to see that going on because that, that's sort of you know, the, the antithesis of the waterfall approach. As far as our contract goes, the, the old way, give me all the deliverables. The contract folks wanted all the deliverables so that we can measure. Obviously, that doesn't really work in the Agile model. We need to make sure that there's productivity and our teams kind of are, are monitoring to make sure that we're, we're delivering things on time and the satis- satisfaction with the customer, and that's really going well. There's a few different models out there right now. This is the one that we're using, and it's been very, very effective, and I'm happy with it. All right, well, that's good news because I know that there's a big push to use Agile, 
and it sounds like you guys are having some good success in getting the the services out to the to the customers more quickly. I want to switch gears a little bit. We talked earlier about cybersecurity. We talked earlier about Windows 10 a little bit, but let me delve deeper into cybersecurity. This goes back to actually an IG report from June that found some challenges with your financial system, some common problems, security management, access control, and configuration management. Talk a little bit about your efforts around cybersecurity, specifically where the continuous diagnostics and mitigation program comes in, and maybe some other tools. I think I came across that you guys had brought in a tool from Squirrel as well to ensure some network and data security efforts. So talk a little bit about how you guys are improving your cybersecurity. One of the key things we did right off the bat here was we elevated our CISO position to a senior executive position to emphasize the criticality of cybersecurity. You can't always have the weight of the CIO in those in those meetings, and, and uh, there's so many things going on. But with Paul Morris, who's our CISO, and he's outstanding, sitting at the table as we roll out future technologies and deal with the challenges, it's really an advantage to have him as a senior executive, and he's, he's doing fantastic things. Our biggest challenge, like everybody else, is the visibility of what's connected to the network. Where is it? You know, is it authorized? Is it patched? That's the CDM phase one, you know, and, it, and we're starting to do that. We've uh, rolled the first phase out. We just finished it, the installation uh, this this month, coupled with the ability to scan for vulnerabilities every 72 hours. This is a great addition to our cyber, cyber toolkit. Our next challenge is how do we extend this great capability to the various clouds we're moving uh, moving into and the workloads that are, that are going to come from that. We started to introduce uh, a capability that allows us to search the enterprise for indicators of compromise. This allows us, you know, to take the threat intelligence and quickly see if we're, we're infected, if any of that stuff's on our systems. So that's another step. We have a growing threat intelligence program here at TSA where we subscribe to available threat feeds as well as having folks assigned to the focus on uh, following the hourly changes in the threat landscape. So we really, we've kind of broken, broken the group up. They're all focused on different things. The CDM is a great addition to help us look. And the next piece, and I think you mentioned Squirrel, uh, this is something I'm certainly excited about. All of our current processes and tools are using tools that alarm and warn us based on predefined signatures. With Squirrel, it allows us to do, bring together big data analytics, data visualization, and look for behaviors in a network that don't belong. And why is that data being exfiltrated? Why is it moving? It, it, you know, it's something, something out of the ordinary is happening. It brings our attention to that. We call this approach at TSA hunting. So I can never expect my stack of security tools to stay ahead of the adversary. So by being able to, being able to use a tool like Squirrel to look for things, anomalies, and to identify those to us to help us realize something's going on quicker is really promising. And then finally, as we move to a hybrid cloud environment, my team's focus will continue to be on visibility, data access, and identity access management. Those are some things that uh, that we're working on right now. Uh, the identity piece uh, is critical to, to doing this, making sure that uh, people can't publish data, they can't move data out of the clouds. All of those things, I think, are important to learn from experts before and, and get some good insight as we move into the cloud and the security side. You bring up this idea of CDM phase one you guys just completed. Does that include the dashboard, and are you reporting up to the DHS dashboard now? So we just finished it this month. I think that the data is starting to flow. I don't know that all the data is flowing the way uh, they need it to flow. I haven't gotten the latest update from the folks on CDM. So that's a piece that uh, I think is, if not working right now, it's uh, very, very close to being uh, tuned up and ready to go. 
And, and the other thing I want to bring up is the idea of, uh, you mentioned data access and data management. What you seem to describe really is the roles and responsibilities piece. Is is that how you're adding the identity management piece to the systems, to, to around roles and responsibilities? When we have potentially so many things up in the cloud, so many different systems and things up in the cloud, that identity management piece is, is pretty overwhelming. And could you leave it to the program or the office that owns that particular system or application? You, you could, but you really then you don't have that cross-cutting across the entire enterprise. So that identity management piece, I think, is critical for us, to, for me to feel secure with the stuff that's up in the cloud because it only takes, you know, one group not to be up on top of things and then we've got to spill either on purpose or, or uh, otherwise. Uh, unfortunately for today, we are out of time. So let me thank my guest, Russ Roberts. He is the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer, as well as the Assistant Administrator for the Office of IT. Russ, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jason. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes.